And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Carrie Cohan, national child advocate who died twice in 92 and 93 and has experienced what we would call both heaven and hell. Carrie, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Carrie, let's start in 92 with your first NDE and go from there. Okay, well, uh, in 92, I was a bartender. I had had an abortion and I was drinking far too much. I uh, I was beating myself up emotionally, physically, uh, with alcohol specifically. And um, I ended up choking on my own vomit. I died uh, drinking far too much. And immediately I slipped out of my body and I hovered over my body. And, you know, I always considered myself a really great person. You know, as a young person, I thought, I'm a good soul. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Uh, I was really shocked with what I saw after my first death. And what the lesson was, was, well, first of all, what I did see was um, they were like demonic little beings that were coming up out of the floorboards. They were, you know, just like, you know, the movie uh, Ghost, then they had those little black you know, beings that were coming up Mm -hmm. and taking the spirit away. That's what I saw. And it was shocking to me because, you know, I mean, I had never tried drugs. I hadn't had a boyfriend until I was in my 20s. And and overall, I was, you know, volunteer work. I was a good person. But there I was facing um, what we would know as the devil, a toe-to-toe. And so uh, I had to... Do a quick assessment. I had to think to myself, my gosh, okay, so if this thing is real, then there has to be a counterpart to this. There has to be, you know, we're in the world of contrast. So there has to be uh, God or Jesus. So I called in God and Jesus. I literally said, God and Jesus, be by my side now. And uh, to my surprise, they showed up. Uh, Creator was to my right, Jesus was to my left. And immediately when this evil thing saw them, he ran and and literally disappeared. He ran through the windows and was gone. And so I was I had the opportunity then and there to speak with Creator and say, why, why me? Why did this happen? And um, you know, the message back was that uh, I was vulnerable. I I had no faith, I had no self-worth, and um he it felt that it could take my spirit, it could take my soul, because uh, I I was not um, grounded any longer. I had no faith. And so there I was uh, standing in an empty room because Creator and Jesus disappeared. And I thought, okay, I'll, uh, I'll go lie down. I cleaned up the bed because I had been sick and, and put all my laundry in the corner and cuddled myself in the bed thinking, you know, did that actually happen? And that's when I looked up at the sky or up at the the roof and this black um, smoke, it was like a, a thick smoke started to come through the ceiling and down the walls. And I started to panic thinking, oh no, oh no, the thing's back. You know, okay, God, I do believe in you. I do believe in Jesus. I started to backtrack because, you know, just moments later, I was thinking, I don't know if that really happened. Did that actually happen? And then this, you know, the smoke started to come in. And that's when I was like, okay, just kidding. I really do believe in you. And, uh, but the black smoke still started to come. And so I got down on my hands and knees again. And I started to pray again, please, you know, I need, I need your help. And I heard this booming, deep voice say, you know, you're safe, just rest. And uh, uh, something to that effect, right? So I laid down on the bed and I thought to myself, I give up. You know, if this is my time, I just give up. And this black smoke surrounded me. And all of a sudden I was in total blackness and I felt like I was floating but I couldn't see my body. I couldn't see anything. It was like my consciousness was in this black void is what they came to tell me what it was. And, uh, and it was a neat place because 
I soon I'm I'm Aboriginal. I'm Métis uh, from Canada, right? So um, I'm Ojibwe and Cree, and our elders would teach us, you know, that uh, Raven is the gatekeeper of the Black Void, where all illusion begins. And I realized this is the black void I'm in, right? And there was so much love. It was like what people talk about heaven. They talk about being in heaven and feeling that utter love. That's what I felt in the black void. And uh, and so I was able to ask a lot of questions. And what was really neat was I I came to understand that when you would think of a question or say a question, it would roll out over like, um, black, it almost looked like oil slicks, right? But it would go out to the horizon. And then all of a sudden, this wave, uh, waves of wisdom, I called it, you know, would come zooming back and wash over me with the answers. And I did this for what felt like 10 hours. But, you know, time, we came to learn, you know, or I came to learn later on in, in uh, my second near-death experience that time isn't time so at any rate they uh, I stayed in the black void I was downloaded with a lot of information um, mainly about how you know your thoughts are so powerful and and that um, in the black void I could not create any negative thoughts I tried because I had a habit of doing this I had a habit of beating myself up um, you know emotionally and having really negative dialogue and that's why I think I found myself in, in my first death. But, you know, it wouldn't let me even uh, expand on any negative thoughts. It was only positive thoughts in a black void. So it, it was like a reboot for me. If you were to think of the this world as a computer-generated program and that this is an illusion, it was really the black void is like a reboot where you go in and you start all over and you start to think, OK, what do I really want in life? So I came out of the black void by, um, you know, the the questions stopped and in it just became very still. And I realized then that this was my time to just rest and digest all that was given to me. And uh, and and then I woke up. And I woke up and it was daylight out. And I, I thought, wow, okay, that was one heck of a dream. You know, I really, because there was no proof that I had died. And so I had to ask for confirmation. I was like, okay, are you still there? And I was looking up in the room and there was no booming voice. There was no one there. And I thought, okay, maybe I just, you know, maybe I just thought all this up. And as I was walking towards the door, um, you know, to get the laundry and bring it outside, I heard from just behind me and in the tender part of uh, my right ear, this voice came in and it was a male voice, very clear male voice. And he said, go to the door. There's a surprise there for you. And so I had to turn around quick. I whipped around because it sounded like someone was standing right there and there was no one there. And uh, there's someone at the door. <laughs> the dogs are barking. Anyways, um, so I whipped around and there was no one there. And so I thought, okay, I'll play the game. I opened the door and there at my mat, I'm, I'm in an apartment building in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, downtown Vancouver. And in those days, it was a Saturday. And those days, the newspapers were like this thick. And, uh, and I laughed because I was illiterate. I didn't read. And I would have never ordered the newspaper. It's just something that I would not do. I wouldn't read the paper. So I thought, okay, I picked up the paper and I thought, now what do I do? And I heard again, clearly, look at the classified sections. So I opened up the newspaper and there was this ad and it was about this big and it was a huge frame, black frame, like you could not miss it right in the middle of the page. And it was for what um, I affectionately came to call my hippy dippy house. It was a, a suite that was available in this large heritage home in Kitsilano, Vancouver. And uh, it had a workshop space in the back. And it was a bunch of people that lived together communally. Uh, and we were non-smoking, non-drinking, um, and, you know, just vegetarian kind of lifestyle. So I ended up cleaning up my act for the next year. 
And uh, to my surprise, I ended up dying for a second time. Before we go there, though, let me yeah. ask you a few questions. Sure. So when you were there with God and Jesus and yeah. you were told that you were vulnerable, would mm -hmm. you say at that time in your life you were atheist? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I considered myself an atheist because I didn't want to believe in God. Um, I had had an abortion. Uh, I was told that there was so much scar tissue inside me that I wouldn't have any more children. And I was one of the first in British Columbia at that time to have an abortion because uh, at that time, it was the very first day abortions were legalized uh, after being illegal for a period of time. So there were bombings of abortion clinics. It was such a... Uh, a tough issue because it was volatile. So having that abortion, um, I really didn't want to have it, but there was so much pressure and and circumstances around it that I went through with it. So I, I chose to stop believing in anything uh, beyond what I could see, smell, hear, feel, you know, and sense. Um, because I didn't want any judgment day. I didn't want to believe that someday I was going to go to heaven and, you know, and be judged and sent to hell because, you know, being brought up Catholic um, and being brought up in a military school, I, my father is military. So, uh, you know, I was indoctrinated into believing that, you know, be fearful of God, uh, be fearful of that judgment day. And so, you know, my first and second death, I was absolutely petrified of that judgment that, you know, I was going to be, you know, sent to hell forever. So my, I was living hell here on earth because of that, out of fear. Do you think it's possible that either the abortion mm -hmm. or the fact that you had been drinking alcohol had anything to do with you being in hell? Mm. Okay. Um, I think my hell was my, my, I was already living hell by beating myself up from the abortion and alcohol was the instrument that I used to beat myself up. You know, I drowned myself in alcohol out of sorrow and, and shame of what I had done. And, you know, I see, I, I'm Métis. And so I had had a gift of sight since I was a little girl. I've had so many experiences since I was a little girl and just before I had the abortion, I had lucid dreams where I saw that little girl. She was blonde hair, blue eyed. I held her in my arms. I, I remember in the lucid dreams, you know, making sure the house was childproof. I could smell this infant. I could feel her, you know. So to have an abortion and to say goodbye to her, I heard her name. Her name was Penny, Penelope, but Penny for short. You know, creator actually gave me her name. And, and so I really thought that, no, I shouldn't have an abortion. But it turned out that my fiancé at the time, um, his mother died on the day that he was going to go and tell her. And the father really was adamant that he didn't want to have any children out of wedlock because in those days, in the, you know, mid to late 80s, it would be so shameful to have a child out of wedlock. It was, you know, it was a different time. And so, yeah, it was a living hell knowing this infant, you know, her name was Penny. And, um, and yeah, so it was, it was my hell that I lived in for four years, four and a half years. And finally, I, you know, was able to escape it by dying. How did God and Jesus appear to you? Exactly how um, I had grown up seeing them. Um, God was to my right. He had the beard. He had the white hair. Um, he had the shroud on. And Jesus had um, just like, you know, it's funny because he, he appeared different in my second near death than the first. The first, I didn't really even see him much. But he did have the brown hair, the brown beard, and again, the, the looser clothing on, um, but just radiant. Both of them were so radiant, so beautiful um, and kind. You could feel the love from both of them. It was, it was profound. Can you share with us any of the questions that you asked and what the answers were? So 
in the black void, we talked about thoughts, right? And the power of your thoughts. And, um, and it was really interesting that I wasn't able to have any negative thoughts while in that black void. And so um, I was shown that uh, our greatest problem as humanity right now is thought pollution, right? Because our thoughts are energy and that thought energy leaves us and goes out into the atmosphere, but it actually keeps traveling. And I remember hearing about that uh, years later from a scientist that was saying that thoughts never end. They, it's an energy that just keeps traveling and it goes into other galaxies and other dimensions. You know, it just, it, it is endless. And, uh, and so what they were showing me in the black void is that we can actually take control of our thoughts and we should, this is why we're here. This is one of the biggest things, biggest reasons why we're here in the human experiment is that it is for us to take responsibility of our thoughts and to clean up our stinking thinking, right? And so in order to do that, we literally have to call back our negative thoughts and and it's like you you put them together like a, a paper and you throw that paper into the cosmic garbage can. And, uh, and I could see this cosmic garbage can in the sky. It was like a basketball hoop, right? And you threw it in. And as it went into the bin, it was transformed immediately into love and prosperity and joy and everything good. Because as we know, energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed or transmuted. In 1993 or 92 in this, in, with the Black Void, I didn't know any of this stuff. I had never heard of you know, sacred geometry. I didn't know about uh, multiple dimensions. We didn't know about quantum physics, really, the mass majority of people at that time. And so this was all new. So they were showing me that uh, it's our responsibility to, um, you know, like I said, clean up the stinking thinking thoughts. And the way to do that is to ask a better question. So when you start on negative thoughts, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, okay, is this the best thought that I can have about this situation? And if it's no, then you have to take that stinking thinking thought, put it in the cosmic garbage can and replace it with a better thought. And this is what I was being shown in the waves, the waves of wisdom. They were showing me through images, through, um, you know, auditory, like uh, mind to mind uh, discussions that simply keep asking, is this the best thought that I can have about this situation? And if, you know, you keep hearing no, then you got to keep going until, is this the best thought? What is the best thought that I can have about this situation? And then have that thought. And if you, you get a yes, that yes, this is getting up there. This is probably one of the best thoughts that you can have. Then you know that you're in alignment with who you are uh, to move forward in in uh, through the black void to be able to create the life that you want to create, because in that black void um, there is no room for negativity. Thank you for sharing that with us. Let's mm. move forward to your second NDE. Okay. So uh, we a year later, I was um, I was packing up all of my stuff because I had met a, a really lovely young man and he was five years younger than me. Um, I was 29 and he was 24, 25. And, uh, and uh, we were engaged after meeting each other for two weeks. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> you know, he was, he was a real dynamo. And uh, and he was business partners with Tony Robbins, uh, the motivational speaker at the time. So uh, I had been volunteering with, you know, Tony for years and um, and finally met with my my first husband. So anyways, packing away and I was feeling regret because I was leaving the hippy dippy house. I loved this house and all my roommates. I had like 11 to 22 roommates that depended. Right. And we were good friends. And so all of a sudden I started to feel the chest pains and I had had chest pains a lot of my life. Um, you know, long history of early deaths in our family from heart disease. And so anyways, um, I felt the, the chest pains. And so I started to lean over and cough to stop the arrhythmia and that didn't stop it. So I ended up making a deal with myself that I'll lay down. And if I still have it, when I wake up, 
I'll go to the hospital. You know, this is a routine that I had had. And I laid down and boom, this, this, it was like someone sitting on my chest and a knife coming in. And it was so strong. Immediately again, I slipped out of the top of my head and was hovering over my body. I was like, not again. Are you kidding me? And so as I'm hovering there, this huge brown bird came from my right and swooped down and got me and picked me up from behind my neck and lifted me up. And we went out of my room through the roof um, and we just kept going up, 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 up. And I could watch as, you know, we were leaving Earth down below. It was really uh, an amazing experience. And I mean, I had had a lot of out-of-body experiences up until that time, but nothing like this because we went into clouds and the clouds got so bright that they were blinding white. And it was like we almost turned a corner and went into like another cloud structure. And it was a, a big open white space. It was, um, I often say that it was like the matrix, you know, that blinding white room. Mm -hmm. that he was in um neil was in that's how it was it was it took a while for my eyes to adjust but also my ears because the pressure was really strong like it felt like um you know a lot of pressure on the ears so anyways the bird gently put me down on a beautiful um it, it was like a a stool but it was made out of a cloud and as i sat on it instantly i could feel the love that was in this room, it was overwhelming. And it was so beautiful. And so I'm looking down at the stool thinking, how, how is that emanating up through me? Like, how, how is this working? What is this made out of? And just then I looked up because I could sense someone in front of me, I looked up and, and it was God, or what I knew to be God. And I remember, um, it, he shocked me so much that it made me jump. And, um, and all of a sudden, all of these images started to come be downloaded. And what I realized very quickly was that uh, I was seeing him as what I would believe God would look like, because that's what I grew up with, you know, the older man with the beard and the white and the shrouds and everything. And, um, and I realized that he goes by many different names and many different images. And so I had to ask, you know, what do I call you? And he said, it matters less the name you call me as long as you call my name. And I was like, wow, that's that's beautiful, right? And so um, I, I decided to call him God. Uh, but I realized at that moment that if I had been brought up with any other faiths, I would have seen this pure light energy as different forms, right? So he was appearing to me as God, because that's what I grew up as. And so I was actually generating this illusion, this image of God um, through my beliefs. And, uh, and so we, I, I soon saw that God was creative uh, through all the different religions, because that was what I was asking was, why do we have all these religions? Why don't you just give us one? You know, why do you go through many names? You know, and, uh, and what came through was that, uh, in order for humanity, which is many different species, I believe, alien species that have come here um, and hybrids of different species, they all come with different beliefs. They all come with different thought processes because this is a human experiment of, um, of love, right? Of finding love, working with love, working united in love. And so um, what I saw was that through all of these different belief systems and religions, um, we're all being brought together, united in what he called the spirit song. And the spirit song, I asked, well, what is that? And, they, and what I got was that um, it is a sound and it's sound and music combined. And it's like a, a song of and for the masses that bring us together, united in, uh, in a vibration of love. And that is ultimately our goal here. That is why we're here, is to come together in the vibration of love through sound, through music, right, combined. So when um, 2020 was happening, all I kept hearing was, you need to vibrate. You need to 
raise the vibration here on earth. We need to use our sound, use our music. You know, humanity is one of the few species on this planet that can that can use sound the way that we do, right? We can sing, we can talk, we can bark, we can do whatever. You know, there's so many uh, sounds that we are able to make, but in that we're able to raise our vibration. And that's what I was shown was that this is really, um, I think the Holy Grail is that um, we have the ability to raise our vibration united in music, in sound, uh, and in the with the intention of love. Did you happen to hear any type of music during any one of your no. NDEs? No. Um, well, actually, let me think about that. I've heard I've heard music um, a couple of times, but not. I don't think it was through the N NDEs. I've heard music. Uh, downloaded. I've heard original songs that have just come, and they were so marvelous. Uh, they were shared with me ever since, you know, um, coming back from my near-death experiences. But while in heaven, I didn't hear music. I just felt the sound. I felt the vibration of love. And uh, and when you when you feel it, it's like it is you. There there is nothing else. It's it's in you. It's of you. It's all around you, and uh, and so I guess I was the song, right at that moment. Why do we keep coming here over and over again? <laughs> and is there an end point to it? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I learned all about that. Okay, the endless loop they called it. Um, I'll go fast forward a little bit. I met with Jesus. We talked about the power of words, and we can go back to that if you remind me. After that, I met with um, the Council of Men. Now, the Council of Men created a half-circle table, and God was in the center, and then there were elders on this table. There were 12 of them in total. Uh, God was number 13, and I was in the center facing this semicircle. And the elder of the um, Council of Men, um, he was the one that uh, was talking about the endless loop. And so... That leads me to suicidal souls or people that end their lives early. Okay, so uh, he turned to me and said, we're really, really pleased that you did not end your life early because there were many times that I considered it, uh, three specific times in my lifetime. And uh, they said, because when you do that, it creates a, a fracture in the timeline and uh, what we have here is very much like the matrix. The matrix was more truth than, you know, more reality than what we can imagine. And so uh, they said, what happens is you then create a loop, an endless loop within the endless loop. So we're already in this endless loop, which is a 5,000 year cycle humanity experiment. But by um, ending your life early, you actually create an endless loop within the endless loop. And that complicates things. That delays things greatly. So the, the soul that decides to end, end their lives early has two ways to go. When they leave here, they either go straight to what I knew to be the white void. So there's a white void, a gray void, and a black void. Black void we already talked about, and that was all love and all the answers and where the illusion begins. The gray void is darkness. It's like, you know, um, hell. It's the trap. And I'll talk about that in a second. And the white void is what we know as heaven. So the um, soul that has ended their life early has two ways to exit. One is to go straight into the white void. And there they have the life review. They rest. They, you know, find the the gumption in themselves to come back and start all over. And that's exactly what they do. So they start all over again. And uh, and it's in a parallel dimension that they have to come back. Well, not have to. Actually, yeah, it is have to. They, they come back and they start in the same life with the same friends, the same parents, the same 
situations, everything. They're making the same choices and they get all the way to where they committed suicide. And they either have to make a conscious decision to either, you know, get enough strength to overcome that situation and move on with their life, or they continue on this, you know, groundhog day repeated cycle of life. So it's like a loop within a loop. It is a loop within a loop, exactly. And so we have a greater loop that we are in, uh, united, and that was that 5,000-year cycle. It always was ending at the end of the Mayan calendar. This is the very first uh, incarnation that we've moved beyond the end of the Mayan calendar. We've always ended at the end of the Mayan calendar. Um, So this is a whole new aspect, and that's why so many of us are so excited about where we are right now, because this is the time where we can actually um, transcend and move beyond and step into a consciousness in humanity that has never been experienced before, because this is the first timeline, I believe, that has broken that, that cycle. And it took everyone working united in love to be able to do that. Would you say that we were trapped or forced into this 5,000-year loop against our will? Oh, no, no, no. I think that we're all volunteers. It's like, yeah, let's do Earth. This was the greatest challenge. And the souls that are here now um, from every, you know, all seven or eight billion of us, It's like we're cells in a body and we're all learning to work together to make that body healthy and it can die. You know, if we, if enough of us give up on ourselves and, and we die as an individual cell within the body, or we can say, you know, to heck with this, you know what, I'm turning it around and I'm going to get healthy and, and I'm going to get in alignment with, you know, the energetic uh, whole. And when I do that, the entire body, the entire Gaia will become healthy. So no, I believe that we all came here meeting with a counselor before we came here. We sat down, we decided what it was that we wanted to learn. And, uh, and we chose this life consciously. So are you saying that when we sign up to come here, we're not just (laughs) signing up for one life, we're signing up for a 5000 year cycle? Yes, Uh, it is one life. But that goes back into past life cycles or past life regression. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that we have past lives. I don't know if we actually have a past life. I think we have memory, cellular memory of past lives that are handed down genetically. So the past lives that I'm full memory of, like of Anne Boleyn, right? I think that was in a timeline because if you follow my timeline, it actually it was a illegitimate, you know, daughter of King Louis the Fourteenth, right? So we have that timeline uh, all the way back to France. So somewhere in there is a memory of Anne Boleyn because I've had that conscious memory, right? And uh, and so, yeah, I think that it's debatable right now. It's something that I've toyed with a lot. Do we actually have the past lives, or do we uh, have cellular memory of? past lives because we've come in somewhere in that 5,000 year cycle. I don't know. Um, Yeah, it's, it could be either because what is time? You know, time, that's the whole thing. That's what was being shown to me in the black void was, and also with the the, um, council of men, the elder showed me, he put his hands out to the side and he goes, you're thinking in a linear way because I was asking, well, how can a suicidal soul come back and and start off with their same parents in this? And we didn't know in 1990 about parallel dimensions and parallel universes and all that. And so, quantum physics wasn't quite there yet. And so or we didn't know about it. And so uh, the elder showed me time. He put his arms out to the side and he said, time is like this. And as he reached his arms way out, a rod of light lit up. And he said, you're thinking time is like this, that, you know, you have all you're here for what, 70, 80, 100 years. But actually, time is like this. And he spun the rod and it went straight up and down. And he said, past, present, future is all happening simultaneously. 
All you have is the now. It is all happening like that. So what we think is a 5,000 year cycle is actually just a blip in time. But our mission, our goal here is to end the 5,000 year loop, which we have for the very first time, I believe, because I was part of it. And, uh, and you know, they kept saying, you got to go back. You got too much to do. I had no idea some of the stuff that I was going to do. And the end of the Mayan calendar was a big part of it. That's a whole nother broadcast. <laughs> and I hope that I can come back and share that one sometime. Me too. But yeah, but um, the, the um, time itself is, is all but an illusion. And, but it's a tool that we need to have here in order to digest everything and grow spiritually. Because I'll tell you this, what I was shown with, uh, especially suicidal souls or souls that, uh, especially with souls that choose to leave early, is that, um, oh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, it's, um, forgive me. Oh, I remember now. Okay, so the thing about um, souls that choose to leave, to leave early, you know, they're they're putting themselves at um, a great risk of being in that endless loop because it takes a lot of effort to actually find the strength to move out of it. But the other thing is, before we come here, we remember to forget, right? We remember to forget our lives before, who we are. It is a huge exploratory mission that we're on. And this is uh, an opportunity for us to grow spiritually, okay? So um, we can, the elder said to me, you can leave earth, you can not leave earth. Earth is a time where you can grow yourself beyond measure spiritually. This is an amazing tool that we have here. Or we can turn, we can return worse off than whence we came. And in my first death, I was returning worse off than whence I came. I was a beautiful little sprite, you know, happy little girl arriving here, really bright, really beautiful little soul. And uh, and I beat myself down so much over the years, and and others beat me down as well. Not I allowed them to. Uh, and, uh, and so I was leaving this planet worse off and that's why they were having counsel on me. That's why they were meeting the council of men were meeting and having counsel on me what to do because, um, you know, I was going to be, uh, doing some things here on earth that really needed to be done. And they could see one of their soldiers as such, <laughs> you know, going to be taken off the field very, very soon. So. Uh, it turned out that uh, in the end, I did find the strength, and I did actually ask for help. And in doing so, um, I turned everything around. So uh, my second near-death experience, it basically, they showed me the five lessons of life, and that is uh, forgiveness, compassion, faith, trust, and unconditional love, all wrapped up in gratitude. And so those elements are why we're here to apply those five lessons of life, not only to everyone else around us, but to ourselves as well. Because when we think about people that have hurt us, um, you know, do you, are you able to say, I've forgiven them, I have compassion for them, I have faith and trust that we're in the right path, you know, working together. There was a reason why all of this happened and do I unconditionally love them? And if you say no to any of that, well, then uh, you need some work to do. But more importantly, because I believe it's less about them and it's actually more about you because this is your spiritual growth. This is your illusion. This is your time. Everything that you are thinking, you are manifesting, right? And and I wrote about that in the book was the the whole mechanics of manifestation and how, you know, these gossamer threads in your dna come out when you are manifesting when you are thinking and they they go zooming out and they call in uh, corresponding thoughts and and people and um, solutions for you and you know it, they help with your manifestation so they showed me this on the other side how to manifest and 
I needed that when I came back because um, <laughs> they kept saying, you got to go back. And I was like, no, nah, this is too nice. I'm not going back there. Hell no. <laughs> that was that was my living hell. You know, even in the good times, it was nothing like what uh, the white, white void was like. And they kept saying, no, you got to go back. You got too much to do. They finally showed me uh, through a 9D hologram, this sphere popped up and it was a sphere and in the sphere was a cube and in the cube was a cubic pyramid so it's like four pyramids that fit together in a cube if you can imagine and when all the points of the four pyramids come together there was a light in the center that lit up and I could I could see movement in that light and as soon as you look in the light it would draw you in and uh and you would be in the image. So they showed me through this 9D hologram that um, my two children that I was going to have, because when I when I first arrived with my second near death, I didn't think I was going to have any more children because of all the scar tissue I had from my abortion, right? And so I was so excited to get back. And But I needed the tools because when I did get back, we had a three-time convicted ped after um, my daughter and he tried to come into our house and, and kidnap her out of her, her crib. And uh, so I chased him out with a carving knife. And that was my start of 17 years as a volunteer uh, national child advocate. And in, in that whole process, um, what I came to learn was my mom's words were so powerful. And that is today's tragedy is tomorrow's blessing. And uh, what I saw as a tragic, near tragic event, this guy coming in and trying to kidnap my daughter, um, was actually probably the greatest blessing because I ended up helping to bring Amber Lurd into Canada um, with um, MLA, Heather Forsyth. She and I worked together for two years on that project. And then um, I went on to write and amend 14 laws to protect children uh, in my home country. Um, and yeah. It's been a journey. That's fantastic. Mm. If we but get... the kicker about all that, I should sorry, the kicker about all that is that I was learning disabled. I couldn't read. And yet I was able to write these laws and um, and debate them in Parliament against some of the finest lawyers in the country and win. But I believe that it was all spirit driven and given because two nights before I'd be flying into Ottawa to meet with the Justice Committee of Canada. I would be downloaded with information. I would have a sense that I should go to the computer and I'd type in some words and all of a sudden a study would come up from, from the United States. I go, ah, oh, this is brilliant because I could read short little paragraphs. I couldn't read long pieces, but if it was broken down, it was like, you know, spirit knew what to give to me in order for me to print that out, take it to Ottawa and be able to, you know, present my case and uh, and was very effective with it. If we get back to past lives, mm -hmm. do you think that if we are all connected, then the past lives we think we have are just somebody else's past lives that we're connecting with? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, I've often thought, is this my thought or someone else's thought? Because when I was in the white void, um, Creator, actually, when I had agreed to come back, Creator had asked me, if you were to ask any question that you could use when you go back to help humanity, what would your question be? And um, and so I, I hum and hawed, you know, I didn't know what to ask. All of a sudden, this beam of white light came zipping around. And again, it went into that tender spot behind my right ear. And boom, my third eye lit up and I had, it was like the light bulb moment. I had the question that was, okay, I understand that God loves everyone, the rapists, the murderers, everyone that, you know, is doing heinous things on the, the planet. How could you love everyone? And he goes, oh, that's easy, like this. And I went back into uh, another situation where I saw my memory self and my counselor and we were talking about I was observing and we we're talking about um you know my my life that I was about to live and one of the things that she was 
talking to me about the five lessons of life, right? The forgiveness, compassion, faith, trust, and unconditional love. She was teaching me how we all are coming here to apply these. And that's really why we're here. So the counselor came over to me and she started to speak to me. And I was having images. And then she got really quiet. And my my thoughts were still going about these five lessons. And for a moment there, I had this realization that, wait a minute, that's actually not my thought. And then I actually thought, is this my thought or is this her thought that she's putting into my mind? And uh, And I've had that many times since arriving, right? So I, I've often wondered, is this original thought, especially with technology right now? You know, there's there's a lot with technology that we can't name because it would be bleeped out, <laughs> you know, and uh, and uh, with uh, mind stuff. Right. So I think that it's not even spiritual. It's more technical, you know, now technological, I should say now uh, that we have to really be conscious of your own thoughts. So I think that's where. It's like a, a muscle. You have to build your muscle, your spiritual muscle through meditation, through prayer, through, you know, um, mindfulness. And and when you build that muscle, no one can bamboozle you. No one can uh, hoodwink you as such. Barbara Messiniak talks about that, you know, in Bringers of the Dawn. She talks about how humanity has been hoodwinked many times uh, because... It's so easy to do. and But if you build that internal muscle and if you have the strength and if you truly um, believe, you know, that you have the abilities, you have the power to um, transcend, to move beyond this third dimension. And the way to do it is through meditation, I believe, you know, to build that. Ignite your, your core, ignite your um, chakras, activate them. Activate your third eye. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's essential. Earlier, you mentioned that we live in a matrix or simulation. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, okay, so I remember watching the movie The Matrix the first time and going, wow, okay, that's, that's real. The, the movie is actually more real than not. And the reason why was when I was younger, um, I, I've had out-of-body experiences being Métis, Aboriginal. I was taught to, you know, well, actually, we didn't even know I was Native until many years later. My mom was so ashamed of her Native heritage that she never spoke of it. She was a survivor of the residential schools. And so she never spoke of her past ever. But she raised us like we were Native. So we had a great respect for nature and for being open and she was a gifted psychic. And so as a as a little one, I had the ability to see things. And one of my first lucid dreams that I remembered was um, the matrix. And I was awake yet sleeping. And I woke up and all of a sudden I was traveling high speed through um, like ley lines. Didn't know what ley lines were back then. Didn't know what a matrix was, but I went into earth and I was like, you know, just flying up and over these grids. And then I came up and saw the earth as a, a matrix. It was a grid. And I realized at that moment that this is all an illusion as such. It was it not an illusion. At that time, it was more like it was a computer program, but we didn't even know what computers were at that time. right? It just was an interesting um aspect but then everything became pixelated and that's when i realized it wasn't real you know as a little girl i knew that there was something here that you could put your hand through and and it was like moving you know balls of light there was a vibration and everything became pixelated so i've had really neat experiences ever since i was very young and um and you know so the near death experiences I often thought to myself, why didn't I have a near-death experience that, you know, could prove that I actually died? Because both deaths, I was in my bed for hours, you know, uh, 
it was dark when I died and there was light when I woke up. And I remember thinking, did, was it a dream? Did it actually happen? There was no one that, you know, was pounding on my heart to wake me up. Nothing like that. And when I was in the white void, I actually asked, am I dead? And the answer was, you're neither dead nor alive. You have the choice at this point whether or not you return. We'd like you to return because you have a lot to do, but uh, but you can stay here. And so it was an uh, option at that point. So when I did come back, I remember asking for confirmation. And that was interesting because um, the first death, immediately I was able to hear like with such clarity, that voice that was behind, I spun around and I could hear him. Right. So there were things that were starting to happen after the first death that were unexplainable. Uh, but the second death, you know, I I asked for confirmation because there was so much that was given to me in that second death. The five lessons of life being the big part. And, um, and uh, you know, 24 hours later, I was in the Vancouver International Airport. And at that time, it was just under construction. It would have been 1993. And they were building a whole new top floor. And I, there was no security back then, right? I mean, you could roam around an airport, not a big deal. And so I went up, I, I arrived for some reason, like an hour and a half early and crazy amount early for uh, to pick my fiance up at the time, my future first husband. And um, so I went up the escalator or stairs, I can't remember. Anyways, I was up in this this construction zone and it was really wide open. There was a lot of space. And there was one um, uh, store that had been built. And it was a library or um, a bookstore. And so it was all lit up. It was actually just opening up. And so I walked in. And the whole wall had Betty Edie's Embraced by the Light book. And it was just like a whole wall. And bookstores don't do that, right? It was the whole wall was covered in this one book. And so I went over and picked up the book opened it, you know, thought, okay, I'm supposed to read this, I guess, haha. And because uh, there were so many, right? And I opened it up and there on the page was um, Council of Men. It was the chapter and that was the title. And I, I just about flipped out because I had never heard of the Council of Men. Here I had the near-death experience with the Council of Men. I was asking for confirmation. There it was in writing. And I struggled through reading because I, I since have become a much better reader, but at that time I couldn't read very well. And so I did struggle through the reading, but I, I came to understand that Betty Edie, uh, you know, she had very similar experience right down to when she met the council of men, she went, well, where are the women? You know, and I had the same reaction, where are the women? You know, like this doesn't make sense, but I needed to heal with masculine energy. Well, who are the men that make up the council? They were elders. Uh, there was one in charge. And okay, so what I was shown was it was an illusion of masculine energy because it was the masculine energy that I needed at that time to heal because it was through the masculine energy that I had had the abortion and, you know, and through the masculine energy that I had been you know, uh, hurt as a three-year-old and, 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 right? So uh, they had brought me there to heal that aspect of me uh, so that I could return and do all the good stuff that I needed to do. What are their thoughts on abortion on the other side? Um, I believe that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, when I look, it goes back to my mom's words, today's tragedy is tomorrow's blessing. So there was no judgment of anything, including the abortion, because um, I don't want to give away the end of the book, but it's really beautiful. And it has to do with that. So, you know, it's it's really beautiful because um, had I not had the abortion, I wouldn't have gone through all that I did, all the lessons. I wouldn't have met with the devil. I wouldn't have, you know, gotten to that point that I out of necessity called in God and Jesus and uh, and wouldn't have had the near-death experiences, wouldn't have written the book, wouldn't have helped literally tens of thousands of people now. So everything has been, it goes back to when I was hurt at three years old, you know, that um, could have been a tragedy, but um, when the gentleman, not gentleman, 
when the man came in to try to kidnap my daughter, uh, I knew his energy immediately because I had known it at the age of three, right? So I knew what he was there for. And, um, and so thank God that that happened to me at three because I went on to bring in 14 laws and literally save millions of children in the process. So, you know, what we think as a tragedy, what we judge ourselves as humanity, um, I think we, we need to judge a lot less and realize that um, there is a reason, you know, if, if you feel, uh, you know, circumstances happen and you have to be in that situation and make that decision, you know, I've learned a muscle test, that's for sure. I, I really check in now and is this for my highest good and all concern, the good of all, all concern, right? It's a, and the words I live by. Okay, dear Lord, you know, is this for my highest good and for the good of all concerned? You mentioned your book. Mm -hmm. What is the title and where can people go to learn more about it? So this is the book, The Five Lessons of Life. It won third in the world for spirituality and philosophy. Uh, it, it beat out all of the New York best-selling times books and all the big publishers. And it's a, you know, it's a simple little self-published book. I had it on uh, Amazon for uh, since 2019, and uh, it's been going down in numbers with Amazon. Yet um, it's still ranked like in the top 10, top 15 in Amazon. So it makes no sense why uh, I'm not seeing the sales. So I've decided to actually take it off Amazon because I know that there are sales there. And, you know, I don't want to, um, you know, villainize anyone by any means, but it's been a push for me to actually um, put it out there myself. So right now, yes, you can still get it on Amazon, but I will be taking it off um, the big corporations, the mega corps, because I think there's some control uh, happening there with a lot of spiritual books, right? Spiritually based books. So so um, I'm going to be offering it myself uh, directly and printing it up myself. So, But in the meantime, you can get it 36 different countries around the world. It's an international bestseller. And, um, and yeah, the, the reviews are outstanding. Read the reviews. They're, they're so beautiful. I'm really blessed. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you right. open to that? Of course. Yes. That's why I'm here. <laughs> right. So, um, my email address is support at Cohan. Dot com And Carrie is like the movie. It's a terrible way to remember, but it's C-A-R-R-I-E. And Cohan is K-O-H-A-N as in Nancy. So support at CarrieCohan.com. And um, or you can come to my website, CarrieCohan.com. Carrie, before we finish up, can you leave mm -hmm. us with one last positive message? It's all about the spirit song. It's all about uniting together in voice in song so um i was walking through london england two days ago and the guy walked past me just shouting at the top of his lungs singing a song and he was singing an irish ditty you, you know he was just so in love with life it was beautiful and it made me giggle where how in love with life he was he was just at the top of his voice and uh, about three hours later, I'm circling around. I'm in a different district. And who's walking straight forward towards me is this same gentleman. And he wasn't singing now, but uh, but I stopped him and I said, are you the guy that was singing? And uh, and he laughed and he says, yes. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, the power of our voice, the power of what we say and the power of our song. And he goes, that's just it. You know, I've come to realize that no one can stop me from singing. We've seen that when uh, there were situations in um, Italy, people naturally sang when they were not able to go out. What did they do? They opened the windows and they sang. And the same in Shanghai, same thing. They were singing. There were things flying over say, uh, top saying, do not sing. 
because it's a vibration, right? We need to lift that vibration. We need to start to sing together. So, you know, sing in your house, sing in the shower, sing, you know, at the kitchen table, just sing when you're walking outside like that gentleman. I thought he's so brave, you know, and then I realized it's not bravery. It's our essence. We are humankind and kindness is our namesake. We need to be kind and sing. Carrie, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest. Ah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.